I think I might as well go home. My sermon has been spoken four times through the singing, through the word, through communion just now. Like, let's just go. Let's have an early minute. Knock off to Maccas before the kids finish Sunday school. We can do it. <laughs> um, before I start, I just want to encourage Yoan, Yoan. I've been thinking about you this week and just want to give you a word of encouragement. Um, I know I'm sure you have dreams in your life, in your practical of what you want to do and where you want to go and what you want to achieve. And the Lord is just wanting to give you spiritual dreams of things that you're going to do for him and birth them in you. And the gifts and the abilities that you have in your hand, your logistical approach, your orderly manner, he's going to use those to further the kingdom of God in those spiritual dreams that he's going to put in your heart. You don't have to be something that you're not for God to use you. He doesn't want you to be a, you know, a rocket scientist. You know, he wants you to be you and do what God wants you to do as well. So take hold of those and ask God and seek him for those things that he has planned for you. God's got a lot happening for you, man. I'm excited. Um, yeah. Uncle Nick, got a word for you too. I'll call you Nick. I'm speaking not as your niece, speaking as a messenger. There's some things that God placed on your heart years ago, I think, and uh, God wants you to, now's the time. Those things, those dreams that you've had and those um, moments that God put in your heart, um, you've now had 10, 20, 30, 40 years of experience and wisdom to do those things. So go ahead and do it. Your time's not finished, it's not over. Those think God places those things there for a purpose, so go for it. Okay, this week I read an article this, on, um, in, that people in China, and I'm sure it's happening all over the world, are paying for online compliments. Pay for praise. For as little as $1 per compliment, or as much as $27 for five minutes of praise. These people, these people want something to show them love and care. They're paying for it online, via the computer, SMS, whatever it is on their phone. What they truly want is community and acceptance, and they're seeking it from random strangers, from a computer. It's just, they just want it, there's an app that says, give me praise. Let me give you some examples. One person typed into the app, I'm on a diet, but I ate cake. Compliment required anyway. That's what they wrote. <laughs> and the response was, at least you realize you need to lose weight. Good enough. <laughs> Another person said, I, I, this blows my mind. Another person says, I can't focus on my reading, begging for compliments. And the response was, this means your knowledge level is higher than the book. Like, <laughs> I find this really sad. But what got me is after receiving their online compliments, they would write a review saying that their compliment that they received was dull and boring. <sighs> the article goes on to say that in some parts of the world, Social needs have moved from offline, like face-to-face, so face -face, over the phone, to online, 
fulfilling their short-term need for socialising. The Chief Happiness Officer, CHO, I've heard of the CEO, I've heard of a CFO, there's now a CHO. The Chief Happiness Officer, Tim Sharp, says that while the phenomenon of people approaching strangers for praise appears to be unusual, the psychology behind compliments is, is that it makes them happy. The CHO says it fulfills their intrinsic desire to feel like they belong. He says, we're all social animals and we're genetically designed to communicate and to do all we can to remain part of the tribe or our community. Being liked and useful values others. He finishes by saying, as to whether paid compliments would have a genuine positive effect, he was doubtful. I can tell you they're not going to have a, a long-lasting positive effect. You don't need a degree for that one. They're seeking affirmation from strangers from a computer, from a phone, and they're paying for it, and they're criticising it. <laughs> I just, I just I, my mind was boggling as I was reading this article. Um, is this an indicator of things to come in our society? When some people are so detached from community that they're paying for happiness, and that's their answer. Today, we're going to look at what is authentic and real community and what God expects from us as his church, as we are genuinely encouraged, strengthened, rejuvenated, blessed and loved. Last week, Ben shared on salvation, the second saying from the cross, um, today you will be with me in paradise. And this morning, we're going to look at the third saying from the cross, where Jesus is speaking to Mary, his mother, and his disciple John. And it's an example of the relationship Jesus wants us to have with his ordained community, the church. So our text this morning comes from John, and I'm just going to read John 19, 17 to 30. Carrying, in his own, carrying his own cross, Jesus went out to the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews reading this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, I've written what I've written, like, be quiet, everybody. I've just done what I've done. I'm the boss. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, and this is what we're going to focus on this morning, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, his disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. 
A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you open our hearts and our ears and our minds, Lord, to just hear what you have for your church today, for your community, the community that you have ordained. Lord Jesus, we pray for this word and we ask that it is blessed, we ask that it is multiplied, we ask that it is sent out into um, the streets of Adelaide as we take on what you, your word encourages us to do. So be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we get into the conversation between Mary and John and Jesus, I just want to look at the environment that is around this verse. Jesus is on the cross beside two criminals, and there are four soldiers over here dividing up Jesus' clothes. And there are also four women and John standing near the cross. They're standing close enough that... Jesus can talk with them, with the noise that's around them, with everything that's around them. They are standing fairly close to the cross. And John wants us to see the stark difference between those two groups of people mentioned at the foot of the cross. The parallel world between those who believed in Jesus and those who didn't. There's four unbelieving soldiers they're dividing up his clothes. The Gospel of Mark goes into quite a lot of detail about what these four soldiers are doing. They've mocked and insulted Jesus. They were the ones that had put the purple robe on him and twisted that crown of thorns. They've struck him. They've spat on him. Mockingly, they've fallen to their feet and paid homage to him. These same soldiers led Jesus out to be crucified and they have nailed him to the cross. They were the ones who had placed that written charge above Jesus' head that Pilate had asked. And now they were dividing their spoils as was the custom, what they're totally entitled to do. These soldiers did not care one ounce for Jesus. Nothing. They were just doing their job, getting their pay, and next week there'd be another batch of criminals that needed to be crucified. They hated Jesus. I mean, to do that stuff to him. No one who would like someone would do that to them. They hated him. And their hearts were hardened towards him, even though they had placed a sign of truth above his head. Even though they'd actually seen the Messiah who was standing in front of them. Even though they'd witnessed the greatest act of love and selflessness, yet they still didn't believe. And in direct contrast, standing on the other side, were four believing women. They were devoted to Jesus. They'd been with him during the ministry. During his ministry, they'd loved and cared for him. They'd cooked meals for him. They weren't going to leave his side. They loved him so much. They were waiting and watching and praying to see what would happen to the Son of God. They were the ones who would anoint Jesus' body and prepare it for the tomb. They knew him to be the Messiah and they kept believing, even though they couldn't see or understand how it was going to finish. How was this thing going to play out? Can you see the contrast that John is making? 
And he says that, if you look in that scriptures, there's one line, one scripture that says, and this is what the soldiers did. He wants us to see that contrast. And I believe the entire world stands at the foot of the cross at some point in their life and has a decision to make, to accept Christ or not, to truly believe him or not. Recently, I've heard so many stories without anyone personally telling them the gospel, and it's great to tell people the gospel, please don't, don't stop doing that, but without anyone telling them, they have realised something's come over them or something happened in my life and I've just started thinking or, you know, there must be something bigger or something happening bigger in this world than, than us. And like Saul on the road to Damascus, that was totally a God intervention. People are having these interventions. And I've heard testimonies of how those things have happened. Everyone witnesses God's creation every day. And God is, extends his love and his grace upon everyone. But ultimately the decision is ours. It's yours and mine. It's not your parents. It's not the person sitting next to you. It's not even God's decision. God will always give us a choice and he extends his hand of love towards us when we respond in faith. You know, those, Jesus died for those women standing at the foot of the cross who loved him and he also died for those soldiers who spat on him as well. So today that decision is ours to make and if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, I encourage you to speak to someone. Speak to myself, speak to someone that you know and get them to tell you more about Jesus because he died for you and me. He died for those women and he died for those soldiers. Let's think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Let's just pause for a moment and can we put our, our Mary shoes on and just see what Mary would have been feeling as she was standing at the foot of the cross. She's been with Jesus her whole life. She witnessed his first breath and she was going to witness his last breath. She knew the promises she had received. The angel Gabriel had told her Jesus was going to be great. That he would be called the son of the most high God. That his kingdom would never end. And she's at the cross wondering how this is all going to unfold. Mary knew that Jesus was doing the will of his father. She knew that. He'd been doing it since he was a kid at the temple. She knew that. She would have been remembering Simeon's prophetic message from her that's found in Luke chapter 2. A sword will pierce your soul. Believe me, a sword was piercing her soul today. She knew that. She knew all these things. And she's trying to make sense of what's unfolding before her eyes. Seeing her son being put to death. I mean, she is human. She is only human. And I think she would have felt a few things. I think she would have felt a bit lonely. Joseph wasn't there. He had died. We don't know where her other children were. She just wanted someone just to hug her. You know, your friend is great, but your husband, just give her love. I think she would have been feeling lonely. Maybe she had some doubts. She'd heard and received these promises but maybe she wondered why they hadn't turned out how she had expected them to turn out. I reckon she would have had a little bit of anger. I reckon she would have had a mouthful of things to say. <laughs> Don't you? 
Put yourself in Mary's shoes. She would have wanted it all to stop. Yeah? She would have said, just stop, soldiers. Just stop. Stop, Roman Empire. Stop, Pilate. She would have shouted, just wanted to shout out to the whole world that it was wrong. It was wrong. My son is the true king. He's the one you should be bowing to. Don't put him on a cross. He doesn't deserve this. Don't you know who he is? I reckon she would have had a little bit of anger happening there. Every mum who's witnessed children in pain, their own children, that mama bear thing just comes out. Believe me, you can't deny that. She would have been a little bit angry. And she's an Arab too, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I can say that. I'm Lebanese. Um, she would have felt fearful, fearful of being left unsupported. How was a widow going to survive? Fear for her life? Maybe the Romans had crucified Jesus and maybe next they were coming for his disciples and me. And she would have felt sorrow and pain and helplessness. So much sorrow, deep, deep sorrow. And she watches her boy die the most gruesome of deaths. The anguish in her heart, the grief. Seeing her son being, being beaten and nailed to a cross where he was so disfigured that he's not even recognisable. And all these thoughts were valid. They're valid. She was a mum. She loved her boy. And she can't make sense of it because it's Friday. Sunday hadn't yet come. And with one simple statement... Jesus brings peace and comfort to her that changes her life totally, forever. And Jesus says, dear woman, here is your son. And to John, he says, here is your mother. How sweet is that? How tender are those words? The word was made flesh. When he addressed Mary as a woman, he's not using it in a cold, informal way, but as a term of respect. Maybe he doesn't want to call her mum to make it even more unbearable for her. Maybe he wants to protect her by highlighting their relationship, by, yeah, by hiding their relationship with the soldiers in case it causes her personal harm. But in using this term, Jesus demonstrates that he is more than just a mother-son relationship. He was her saviour too. Mary needed saving. She was a disciple and he was the master. And so he addresses her as dear woman. And scholars say that this was Jesus' final will and testament. And they agree that in first century times, a crucified man had every right to make a testamentary deposition, even from a cross. So when Jesus utters these words, it's not a suggestion for John to think about. Jesus uses the official formula of old Jewish family law which places his mother under the protection and care of the Apostle John. And in Mary's loneliness and anger and sorrow and fear and pain, Jesus cares and he provides. Isn't that amazing? And today in our loneliness and sorrow and fear or pain, Jesus cares and provides for us too. He hears and he sees. And he's entrusted his church, the community, to assist and care for us. And if Jesus could provide for the own needs of his mother during his torment 
and during his abandonment and during his moment of greatest weakness and suffering, how much more can he care for us where he is seated in the right hand of the Father today and in his glorious power and strength and wonder and honour? So we're going to break this saying down a little further. What implications does this have for us today, for Burnside Family Church? Jesus is showing us how our needs are to be met when we've left everything to follow him. And Paul says in Acts chapter 2, verse 28, that Christ purchased the church of God with his own blood. This was what was happening at the cross. Therefore, one of the gifts that Jesus gives us from the cross is his church. A loving, relational, caring, encouraging family beyond family. And Jesus illustrates the meaning of the church in the relationship between John and Mary. And in our relationship as a church, we need to interact with each other and, and demonstrate genuine love and care through our relationships with each other. None of this online superficial guff. <laughs> No one should be without a caring family in the body of Christ today. God has put us together as Burnside Family Church. So what is care? In the context of today's sermon, care extends to practically helping people, like moving house, cooking them a meal. It is understanding and taking interest in each other. It's supporting and encouraging each other. It's promoting and building each other up. It means having an interest in the other person's spiritual, physical, emotional well-being. It's to protect them, to guard them, to look after them. That is care this morning. When I use the term care, I'm using all that in one word. And there are a couple of things we can learn from this passage of Scripture and apply it to Burnside Family Church. There are just six things we're going to quickly talk about this morning. Care is selfless. Jesus is so loving and so self-sacrificing that in the midst of his own torment and abandonment, he's caring and compassionate towards his mum and he wants someone to take care of her. Jesus is providing the example of how we are to act to each other. Sometimes we can get a little bit wrapped up in our needs and we forget to look up to God and out to each other. Philippians 2 says, Each of you should look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So what does showing care selflessly look like? It's calling someone you haven't seen at church for a couple of weeks. How they're doing, see how they're going, and pray with them over the phone. It's using your God-given gifts and talents and abilities to bless others who might not have talents in that area, even when it takes a bit of time. It's spending time with someone from church who maybe is going through a rough patch and... You maybe just need to give them some love and some support and some encouragement, offering practical help. It's inviting someone over to your house from church and just do life together. Go to the movies. Go watch a footy game. Praying and caring for others while you yourself are broken is a selfless act of love and care that Jesus also demonstrated. Care is practically demonstrated. The joining together of John and Mary assured Mary of her livelihood and her existence. First century Judaism, there was no Centrelink. There was no government support. If you couldn't earn a living, you didn't eat. 
There was a cultural responsibility placed on the firstborn son to look after the family if the husband had died. And Jesus is handing over that responsibility to John. Jesus, as the true elder brother, is asking John to care for what he cares about and to do as Jesus would do. And in practical terms, that means that John had to provide food, clothing, medical treatment, security, shelter. John had to care for Mary emotionally by protecting her um, and comforting her from the scorn that she was going to face because she was the mother of a criminal now. He had to protect her. He had to encourage her. He had to be with her. He had to nurse her in her old age. He, she was part of the family. He had to build another room on his house and have her as well as his mum. <laughs> Just think of that. <laughs> Two mums in the house. Um, he, it was going to be tough for him, but he had to do that. And there are some things that only John had sole responsibility for as the adopted son. Only he could do and only family should do. And 1 Timothy 5 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There are some things that family should just do and only immediate family can provide. But there are other ways that as a church we can practically show care too. And this is... This care for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ must be shown in our actions and our words. And care was beautifully demonstrated this week, as Ben has already said. The Darrington family honoured their mum and their grandma Claire. And it was lovely to see so many of you at the funeral, so many of the family of God, our community there, to show love and to stand together with Jim and Carol. And the church helped organise and make food. With the, they helped with the PA and by playing in the service and by setting up and cleaning up and by just encouraging and talking with their family and their friends. This week the church demonstrated true love and care and supported one another. Care is also reciprocal. It goes both ways. Jesus didn't say to Mary, Here's your son, now he needs to look after you, he must do everything for you, and you don't need to do anything. That's not what the scripture says. No, no, Jesus said to John, here is your mother, um, and here is your son. He said it both to Mary and both to John. Mary also needed to demonstrate care to John as well. And care, like any two-way relationship, has some give and take. It can't all be give and it can't all be take, and this is, applies as well in church life. Care is spiritual. Remember, we've got to remember, at this moment, Jesus was dying for our salvation, and Mary was having these feelings of doubt and pain and hurt and anger and loneliness, which Jesus cared about. And as a community, we need to care for the salvation of those around us as well. Showing care means having deliberate conversations giving a, and asking people, how are they going on their journey with Jesus? It's about giving them spiritual encouragement. It's about spurring them on when their faith might be wavering. And one of the best places to do this is in a connect group. It really is. 
If you're not part of a connect group, I truly encourage you to join one. You will be truly blessed. You will enjoy the deep love and the friendship and support of that group that will help rain or shine through the good times, through the bad times. That is what a connect group does and a connect group is part of the body of Christ. Care must be genuine and long-lasting. What's the difference between the paid online Chinese compliment that they receive from a computer on the other side of the world and John's care for Mary? What's the difference? It's the heart. It's an attitude of the heart. You know, I can give you a compliment and show care and you will never know if it's genuine or not. Only God and I know what's happening in my heart. No one else will ever know if I've shown the care or that compliment, if I've given it to you begrudgingly, or if I've done it just to prove a point in spite. Of course, none of us would ever do that. Or even, or maybe to even the score. No one knows if I've shown care just because it's part of my job, part of my job and person specs as a leader, or because I've been told to. No one knows, only God and me. And Galatians 6 sums it up really well. It says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And that's us. Sustained, genuine care for God's family will only come out of a closeness of relationship from the source of all care from Jesus. Can I read that again? Sustained, genuine care for God's family will only come out of a closeness of relationship from the source of all care. It will only come from Jesus. Jesus cared so much, which is why he died on the cross for us. And John loved Jesus so much that he genuinely cared for what Jesus cared for. And Jesus knew this, which is why the request was made to John. And then John, in response, the longevity of his care for Mary had to be sustained by his love and his respect and his honour to Jesus. At some stage, Mary was going to bug him, I guarantee you, while he's at his home. And he could give up at that, mo- at that moment, but he chooses to say, no, no, I do this for Jesus. I'm doing this for Jesus. And there's a direct correlation between the state of our heart and our relationship with Jesus. If we're not giving genuine care and love from the source of God, then we're trying to do it out of our own strength. We end up trying giving care for our own benefit or to make us feel wanted or for our own self-worth of wanting to be the hero. If those are our motives then that will deplete us very quickly. Because when we start down that path, we start comparing and measuring ourselves to get against others. We start thinking, it's not fair, I'm doing all this. 
complimenting and all this care and no one's doing it for me and she's not doing it and he's not doing it. Why am I doing it? And then we start to question God. And that gets us into bother in the long run. And eventually will lead our heart into a downward spiral, causing our heart to become bitter and cynical and hard. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just speaking to me this morning. But maybe it happens to you too. We all respond differently. And I know personally for me, if I start getting cynical about things, just me I'm talking about, I'm drifting. I'm drifting away from Jesus as my source, as Jesus the source of love and care. And to get my heart back and to be able to care with genuine, gen, gen, what's the word? Genuinely. And for the long run and for the long haul, I need to have Jesus as my source. And so to get my heart back on track, I need to assess my personal relationship and make some changes. I need to draw near to him. I need to spend more time in his presence by worshipping, by praying. I need to ask for forgiveness because it's only through Jesus that we can have genuine love for one another, for this community, for this rabble bunch of people, for the long haul, and it's for the long haul. And that's what Jesus was doing for Mary. He was caring for her till the day she died. Warts and all. There was no medical, fantastic, fandingled medical treatment back then. He was caring for her like he cared for his own mother and like Jesus cared for his mother. And lastly, care is closeness and trust. John and Jesus had a beautiful relationship, didn't they? Often John is referred to the one whom Jesus loved. And it was John who reclined on the chest of Jesus. And it was John who was standing here at the foot of the cross that day. Where were all the others? Jolly Pete, he was probably crying, having a pity party. And we don't know where Andrew and James and Matthew and Thomas were. Three years Jesus had dedicated his life to them. Three years. And they were nowhere to be seen. Nowhere. But John was there. It was John who Jesus trusted and could rely on to look after his own mum. Jesus knew he would care for her till the very end. And in obedience, John responds. And Jesus wants to have relationship with us this morning that is so close where we can fully depend on and he can fully depend on and trust us to take care of the things that he thinks is most important. He says to us, his church today, he says to Burnside Family Church, I treasure you just like I treasured my mum. And with all my heart, I give you this responsibility. Burnside Family Church, be good stewards of what is mine. I trust you and I'm depending on you to treat what I hold dear with genuine love, with understanding and care, and to provide the consistency and longevity that it needs for it to flourish for future generations. So Burnside Family Church, what is our response to Jesus' request going to be? Are we prepared to respond immediately in obedience like John did? 
Are we, will we show consistency and long-lasting to care for one another that is, and show care that is selfless, that is practical, that is reciprocated, that is spiritual and that is genuine? I truly pray that we will each decide to be like John and in doing so strengthen the church, strengthen our community, show genuine care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Will you respond with me this morning and be like John? Can we all immediately practically outwork this? This week, I would love us all to pray for three people you can pray for more if you want, but pray for three people. John responded immediately. He said, from that hour, he took her in to be his, to be his own. And I'd love us to respond to being in God's community immediately. So let's, if you can, pray for three people this week. And when you see them next Sunday, can you tell them that you've been praying for them? Believe me, this is going to encourage them. It's going to make them feel so good. It's going to make them feel special. And most importantly, it's going to make them make sure that they don't go wasting their money paying for compliments from a stranger in some foreign current country in the other side of the world. Can we do that this morning? Can we, can we just commit to just maybe just praying for three people this week? Ones that God places on your heart. It doesn't have to be the best friend. It can be someone on the other side of the room. So let's do that. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us so much. You love us so much and you love your church. Your church was ordained to be a place of community, our place of friendship and care and love and hope. So I thank you for Burnside Family Church. I thank you that it has stood here for over 150 years and it has been that lighthouse on the hill that has protruded your love and your light and your mercy and your grace to everybody in this area. Lord, I thank you and I pray for the next 150 years of Burnside Church. I pray that it goes and it broadens and it multiplies and it spreads and it encourages everybody that um, has contact in this area because your people are doing that, because you've entrusted us to take care of that thing that you love most. Lord Jesus, be with us this week as we go out and share as we pray for each other, as we encourage each other, as we bless and practically show good deeds to each other and show true love and authenticity. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can only do this through you. You are our source. You are our only source, Lord Jesus, and we praise you and we do it to give you all the glory and all the honour and all the praise. We do this for you in honour of who you are and what you have done for us. We thank you, Lord. Amen.